This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. The world's changing. And what are things we can do to, to transform our business and engage our fans globally in different ways? People are using their name and likeness to create more opportunities, more stakes in companies. In order to turn the organization around, we had to turn it around not only just on the baseball operations side, but on the business operations side. Football and any other sport is very difficult, but I like to broaden my horizons and be able to expand sports. You need to be consumed live. And that's a big competitive advantage for intellectual property holders of sports content in the media landscape. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. We will talk about the big money issues in the world of sports in our Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. All right, guys. So Monday morning, we're breaking it down from the weekend. Let's start, you know, in the obvious place. The movie theater, or, you know, probably more likely my couch and lots of couches. Uh, lots of people downloading or viewing or maybe even going to a movie theater to see Space Jam, A New Legacy. This, of course, the long-awaited sequel to the 1996 movie. That one starred Michael Jordan. This one stars the other end of the GOAT argument, LeBron James Lynchy. Uh, pretty good numbers. You know, we're used to LeBron putting up. Pretty good numbers. He put up a good number at the box office. He's not even in uniform for this one officially, but he put up big, big numbers. Uh, that mark of 31.6 million doesn't include you and all the other people on the couch. That's just people who actually went to a movie theater. It was something that a lot of people haven't been to in a long, long time. Uh, it had bad reviews, but people didn't care. And uh, as Teddy Roosevelt said, it's not the uh, critic that counts. It's the man in the arena. And the man <laughs> in the arena is LeBron and all the Looney Tunes characters, and they just delivered. And, you know, it's the perfect timing. I mean, look at this. In the Northeast, it was a rainy weekend. People were looking for things to do. The NBA Finals are still going on. And there was just a onslaught of social media promoting this movie. And it all worked, and it clicked in weekend number one. Mark this down as I'm pretty sure the only time in history where that Teddy Roosevelt quote uh, <laughs> is invoked for Looney Tunes, Michael Barr. Uh, I mean, Space Jam, we we all remember the OG. And uh, again, as I said, this was this was long awaited. But the timing, the timing is great. And I, I have to say, and Lynchy's sort of alluding to this sort of doesn't matter if it's a good movie, right? Let me tell you what this movie is for. And and, and Lynchy hit the nail on the head. And, and it's, this is for guys like me who used to watch the old Warner Brothers cartoons <laughs> many years ago and were looking for an excuse to, to watch something like that again. So you get the grandkids or you get your youngest child and you watch this movie. It's like, okay, I'll watch it with you. And you're giggling in the background when Daffy Duck you know, gets it just like everybody else because you remember all those old Bugs Bunny cartoons where Daffy Duck got it. So I, this is what this is all about. That's why I want to watch it. Well, it's interesting, too. I mean, so my two teenagers were watching it last night, of course, late into the night after I went to bed. I had already watched it because, you know, um, I don't stay up as late as a, as a teenager. But, uh, you know, they were into it, and and as my eighteen-year-old uh, son Will said, he's like, it's probably not going to win any Oscars, but it's very entertaining. And listen, they have a connection with this generation of players in the same way that you know I was roughly their age when uh, the 
original Space Jam came out with with Michael Jordan. And, you know, we all watched it because it was Michael Jordan. They're watching it because it's LeBron. It's also interesting. We talked about this on the show over the weekend. This also comes at a very fortuitous time, Lynchy, for LeBron and his Spring Hill company, the media company, media and entertainment production company that he started with his friend Maverick Carter, his longtime business partner and childhood friend Maverick Carter. Uh, they are reportedly uh, entertaining some offers to sell that company, Spring Hill. Nike is reportedly at least expressed some interest. You know, my sources say there's interest far beyond Nike uh, in this uh, in this company. Space Jam is probably one of, if not the highest profile things that they've produced so far. This has been in the works for now a couple of years, and obviously the pandemic, um, you know, altered the way it was both created, produced, and distributed. Uh, also, a good time for that because they they made a hit, you know, and hit makers yep. get paid. Yep, and uh, among other suitors, there's some streaming video providers, as you know, some t- technology companies are interested, along with Nike as well. And it's a perfect time for, for Maverick and LeBron and uh, the Spring Hill Productions. And this thing is you know, it, going to have legs. I mean, the 1996 Space Jam still has legs, and this legs is going to go for a long time. Think about it. I mean, you know, when a movie comes out, this thing appeals to a 2-year-old and a 92-year-old, and every age in between. And this is going to be this is going to have legs, and it's going to be, uh, just elevate LeBron's status uh, as a basketball player and as a business person. Not sure about an actor, but certainly uh, his persona as as a business person. Yeah. Now it, it does need to make a, a fair amount of money. It costs one hundred and fifty mm-hmm. million dollars to make. Right. Um, so they need to to keep on trucking. But uh, you know, it did surprise on the upside in terms of uh, the domestic box office. It's a good sign for movie theater chains. Uh, It eclipsed Black Widow, which, of course, uh, comes out of the Disney Marvel universe. uh, That's Scarlett Johansson's vehicle, uh, Black Widow. So anyway, we'll keep an eye on that. And obviously, the consumption is also going to be interesting to kind of break down how how and where people are consuming it. You know, as you alluded to, Lynchy, uh, this was a situation where lots of folks were like me and, and watching it uh, via HBO Max, uh, and it, but I think they're happy to get a little bit of movie theater uh, distribution here as well. Um, all right, well, we're all uh, still glued to the couch watching the NBA Finals. They're still going on. Mm. Uh, the Bucks now a game away. Fear the deer, Lynchy. I mean, this is good. <laughs> I have to say, this is good uh, for the NBA. It's great for the NBA. Uh, you got a very likable team that hasn't won in 50 years. you got the Phoenix Suns, uh, who have never won an NBA championship. Uh, great home crowds. Uh, there's a lot of I'm, – I'm glued to it. I love down in Phoenix when the Bucks are at the line and the crowd is kind of trying to count oh, down God. the shooter. I think it affected Giannis down the, down the, down the stretch. He yeah. missed three foul shots, and I know he was counting in his head. He said, are they counting really – are they like two – two seconds behind? Are they one second behind? And now we move to the Deer District, which is always open no matter what, home or away. And uh, there still are a few seats left for game six tomorrow night. You can have a courtside seat for $17,000, which I think is the current prize money for number of the week, Michael Barnes. It's pretty round. Much round. Yeah, yeah. it's close to that. Over under. Over under. Price is right there. Uh, So what do you make of of this finals? You know, I mean, I feel like Barr 
from a business perspective, we were wincing at this a little bit because Milwaukee, I believe, is the smallest market um, in the NBA. So, and you know, when we talked to the president of that franchise just a couple weeks ago, he talked about how you know they've got to draw on essentially so many people like in their local um, geography there, they don't have the benefit of being in a New York or in LA or Houston or even in Atlanta in terms of their fan base. But Giannis transcends in many ways. And I do think you have some national interests like Lynchy uh, who who are gravitating toward, toward the superstars. I thought two things when it turned out to be Milwaukee against Phoenix. My first thought was like, Oh God, no! This is going to be yeah. a ratings disaster. Instead, everybody's watching it because one, it is exciting, and two, a lot of people are watching it. Well, basketball fans, of course, are going to watch it, but people are watching it for the art of the game. And yeah. then the second thing happened. I thought when Giannis was injured, I'm like, oh man, this is going to be trouble for the Bucks. No, it, Giannis just stepped up and and he proved why he is one of the greatest today in the NBA. And this is exciting to watch. And we were talking about this off air just before we went on for the podcast. I could see this going a game seven also. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there was a sense that it might go to seven already with the assumption that the Suns were going to win game five, uh, which they did not. I mean, they came they came very close and there was a very there have been some very, very dramatic and eye popping plays down the stretch that, again, when you think about ratings are really close games are good for ratings. People stay tuned Mm. in. They stay engaged. uh, And then there's a lot of reviewing and it goes viral. And, you know, both the alley-oop at the end of game six and then, of course, Giannis's block at the end of game toward the end of game five, you know, are, you know, stand to be uh, iconic for sure. Um, So we'll keep an eye on that. Obviously, the fact of the matter is, is that Longer series generate more money. They generate more money in advertising. They generate more money for the teams, you know, millions of dollars in terms of the gate. And, you know, I think it's also really interesting, and and you mentioned it, Lynchy, this whole deer district around Mm. the arena there, around the Fiserv Arena in Milwaukee, I have to think if you are Sint Marshall at the Mavericks, if you're Steve Coonan down at the Hawks, if you're Mm -hmm. anybody running a team, you're like, okay, well, they're onto something there because that Mm -hmm. is, it's dramatic for a broadcaster. It's got to be a ton of fun for the fans. And those are local businesses that are doing quite well when 20,000 people show up for a couple hours before the game, during the game, and then, especially if they win, uh, celebrating or maybe drowning their sorrows after the game. So th- that's real. <laughs> that's a real economic engine that I think can't be overlooked when, when you think about the ecosystem that builds up around successful franchises. It is. It's like New Year's Eve, but New Year's Eve only happens once a year right. in Times Square. In the Deer District, it happens. it's happening a dozen times. Right. And it could happen again on Thursday night. If there's a Game 7 in Phoenix, the Deer District will be bumping. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So we'll, uh, we'll be tuned in, of course. Uh, I'm guessing you at least were tuned in for a lot of the Open, as they call it, Lynchy. Um, uh. Morikawa, I mean, this guy, I think think if you haven't been paying close attention, he's a comer uh, when it comes to golf. This is a guy who, I mean, I love this statistic, the first ever to win two majors in his first try. Mm-hmm. 
crazy. He he played golf at uh, Cal Berkeley. He came onto the scene, and he has just been amazing. He wins two point oh seven million yesterday. He has made six point nine million. This is just in purse winnings. He's number one right now. But more importantly, I don't know if anybody heard his when he accepted the claret jug. He gave about a little two minute speech, mm. and it was just dripping with class, yeah. humility. Dignity. He thanked all the fans. Uh, he said, we missed you all last year with the pandemic. He congratulated his caddy and said it was his birthday, and the crowd broke into happy birthday to his caddy. Uh, <laughs> this is a likable guy. Now, the tour is looking for the face of the tour. Tiger, we don't know if, if he's ever coming back. We don't know if Phil is ever going to win again. Shambo keeps just stepping on himself and just can't say or do the right things. Kepka's always got a snarl in his face, but this guy, Colin Marikawa, I think could emerge as the face of golf. He's likable, and I'll tell you what, this guy can play. Yeah, absolutely. And and the Open, I think, is, is fascinating. I don't know if you guys uh, have ever been. I got a chance to go many years ago with our, our friend who's been a guest on the show, Billy Andrade, when he was playing there. Mm-hmm. And it's just a whole different deal. Uh, Michael Barr, you would love the fans at the Open because they are hooting and hollering. I remember... We were uh, sitting and, and waiting for the group to come up that, that Billy was playing in, and there was this noise. We could not figure out what it was. It was a guy passed out on a hill snoring. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this sounds like my kind of yeah, crowd, this man. Is, uh, it's a little bit of NASCAR <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> on the links because this is a different sort of golf. I mean, that's the other interesting thing is – you know, and and Lynchy, this this is more for you as a as a golfer. I think it's fascinating to see. My understanding is that Morikawa is not a Lynx player at all. I don't think he had no. ever played on a Lynx no. course until the Scottish no. Open the week before, yes. right? And you probably heard Paul Azinger mention a couple of times. Uh, he said, "If I didn't play in the Scottish Open, I would have zero chance to win the Open or be in contention for the Open this past weekend." I, I just love this guy, and, and I'm sure his sponsors love him. He's got a big deal uh, with TaylorMade, Omega, Adidas, uh, Therabody, U.S. Bank just signed on with him this year. They took a, And he's only 24 years old. Yeah. I mean, this guy is a winner. I mean, just pay attention to him for a long, long time. Yeah. I, I have to ask something to both of you guys. Yeah. And, yes. and, and you brought up a lot of sponsorships there, Lynchy, and, and Jason also, because we were seeing a bunch of golfers just destroying their clubs left and right, and, <laughs> and people were getting, the golfers were getting into trouble because they were first said something that they shouldn't have said about their sponsors for the clubs, and then was it DeChambeau that said, oh, yep. I'm sorry, I just, I just played poorly. And I'm wondering now if golfers need, you didn't see this really back in the day of a golfer just breaking a club and this and that whatever is this the way golf is going to be now I, I don't think so. i mean the, the shambo was just so strong he's like bo jackson remember when bo broke a uh, bat over his thigh yes. when he struck oh, yeah. out well the shambo could basically do the same thing with a golf club he criticized his cobra golf club which is specifically made for him it's five degrees um it's no one you can't find a a, a driver in a in a in pro shop under eight or eight and a half degrees. And he's kind of, he's again, he's not a, not a likable guy. Kepka is not a likable guy, but this guy Morikawa is great. There's an old saying, you know, a poor carpenter blames his tools. Right. And that's what the, the Shambo is the category he's fallen into with a lot of people right now. And that's a tough hole to crawl out of. 
It's yeah. a tough hole to crawl out of. He is going to the Olympics. He's on the Olympic team with Morikawa. Wouldn't it be something if Morikawa goes over and just parlays his open title with a gold medal in the Olympics? Yeah, exactly. Keep an eye on that. If you didn't listen to it, speaking of the Olympics, go back and into the podcast feed and listen to our conversation with Andrew Zimblis. He's a professor at Smith College. He has done the most work of anybody I've ever seen on the economics of the Olympics. And it was a fascinating discussion in part because I did not fully appreciate until we had this conversation what bad business the Olympics are um, at this point. And, and I am sorry to say over the weekend, it feels like it's taking at least a slight turn even for the worse as you've got the likes of Coco Goff, uh, American tennis player, of course, testing positive for COVID, taking herself out of the Olympics. She's unable to compete. You had a gymnast who, as of this recording, has not been named from the U.S. who has tested positive. Got a couple other athletes there in the Olympic Village. So it's not enough to, to really endanger the games, obviously, either from a health perspective or just from a going forward perspective. But this Paul certainly hanging over these already delayed games and what was already a tough business, Michael Barr, is just going to be, I, I mean, Tokyo and, and Japan are just going to lose a ton of money here. Yes, they are. And, and I have to tell you, there were so many things that I read about this Olympics that amazed me. And one of the, one of the biggest quirky things that I read was that the Olympic – committee organizers put cardboard beds in the Olympic Village where the athletes are going to stay. The reason why, and they're trying to cut down on COVID, is because they want to cut down on two people in a bed. Oh, boy. So it will it's designed to collapse. Now, I don't have to explain more when I say two people in a bed. It's a family talking show. About. It's a family, family. show. It, it, it's, I, I read that, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding. It, it, it's, you know, but I had no idea that that was in play. It, that shows you what they're trying to do to stop the spread of, of this virus. But apparently it's not working because one of the athletes was jumping up and down in the cardboard bed. So I don't know what the heck is going on here. Now, I did hear that there was there was some dispute about that, whether the cardboard beds preceded the uh, pandemic or not, and whether this was just a happy accident that maybe it was a preventative measure. But in any case, it is a cardboard bed. It does ultimately um, discourage, you know, what is well known to be one of the shall we say, fringe benefits of being in the Olympic Village. That is well-known. It's a well-known part of the Olympics, uh, in any case. Not being an Olympian myself, I only, I'm, I, people have said, people have said, people are saying. All right. How would you like to be a, you like to be a sumo wrestler and hit, get your key to your, your room? And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I think I'm just going to plop down yeah. here. It's been a long fight. Yeah. Boom. Boom. Yeah, exactly. Can I get some reinforced cardboard in my village room? <laughs> I'm sorry. That's very funny. We lost bar. Oh, God. Am I supposed to lock it out here? I guess yeah. I'll lock it out. Uh, this has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. You can catch this podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. <laughs> I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. We just need him to Sweet. behave himself. 
Oh, sweet dreams, Big Bar. I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchyWCBB. And I'm Jason Kelly. Follow me at Jason Kelly News. Catch us later on in the week as we explore the issues around money and sports. Oh, I'm just seeing the sumo wrestler. Oh, God. Oh. Shut it down. Oh, man. Shut it down. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports. <laughs> you can hear this show, even more of this Extended version. Catch that wherever you get your podcast.